Faith is life's master key. I want to do a little analogy with you, if you will, this morning. In your mind, imagine a large uh, house beside the road. And this house is salvation. And as you pass down the road of life by this house, you observe that everybody who is saved passes through that house. Whosoever will may come, and everybody who experiences salvation passes through that house. And you're thinking in your mind, I, I want to be saved, I want to experience salvation, so you know the way to salvation is in this house. And so you try the door and it's locked. And you pound on the door and you try to pick the lock and there is no entrance. And all of a sudden, the Lord places in your hand a key. That key is marked faith. And so with that key, you insert, you insert the key in the lock and with that key, the door opens and you enter the house. For by grace are you saved through faith. Salvation is the house that grace built, and faith is the key that unlocks the door. So the way into the house of salvation is through the key of faith. When you get on the inside, you observe that you're, it's just in the foyer, and there are many more rooms, each one closed with a door. There are other rooms in the house, and doors there. Over here is a door marked, Answered Prayer. And here's a door marked victory over sin and fullness of the Spirit. And it doesn't take you long to realize that you're just living in the foyer and you want access to all of those rooms, to the bedroom for rest, to the den for fellowship, to the kitchen for food, but you're in the foyer and you observe that a great number of people are living their life out, never having entered any of the other rooms, having only living and dying in the foyer. They live in the foyer and they die in the foyer and they never get beyond that. Never gain access to any of the other rooms. Reminds me of the story I heard about a little girl who went up to bed to, to go to sleep one night and she crawled in bed. It wasn't long until her mother heard a thump and she started crying. It's obvious she fell out of bed. Her mother went upstairs and said, What happened, honey? She said, I don't know unless I went to sleep too close to where I got in. Some of us go to sleep too close to where we got in. We die too close to where we got in. We never enter any of the other rooms. You want access to those other rooms. So you go to the door marked victory over sin, fullness of spirit, and you want entrance. But the door is locked. So you pound on the door and you try the lock and there's no way to get in. And somehow in your possession there is a large key ring with keys. One of those keys is marked self-effort. You're thinking to yourself, that's it. The way to victory over sin is through self-effort. And so you write off to, you know, um, Norman Vincent Peale and you watch, watch Robert Schuller on television and you get all this stuff about how to improve yourself. It doesn't work. And you think, well, maybe rededication of my life. I need to rededicate my life. I'm not living in victory, so I need to rededicate my life. And maybe going down to the front, and God will zap me, and I'll suddenly gain victory. You try it again and again. It doesn't work. 
Well, the answer might be to increase my efforts of, you know, my, my jobs at the church. So you take about five more jobs in the church and you get busy and get involved and you wear yourself out. Still no victory over sin. So you come as a last resort to the T word, tithing. You know, I've heard people say, if you get your life straightened out with regard to tithing, everything else will fall in place. And so you start tithing and you gain no victory over sin. And then all of a sudden, you hear that still, small voice. Remember that key I gave you a long time ago? The one marked faith? You say, yes, Lord, but that, that, that's the key to salvation. And God says, the way you obtain salvation is the way you obtain everything else in the Christian life. For Christianity is a by grace through faith kind of thing. The way you get saved is the way you gain access to everything that's available in every other room in the Christian life. The way you experience all that God has for you to experience is with the same key of faith. Now, grace is God providing it. Faith is my appropriating it. Grace is God making it. Faith is my taking it. Grace is God's part. Faith is my part. And you will never really ever live the Christian life as it ought to be lived unless you learn how to live by faith. In fact, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. That's the theme of the Scripture. Four times it says that. Not that they'll be saved by faith, though they will, but the just shall live by their faith. And Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Now that's probably not the way we would have written that. We would probably write it like this. Without Christian service, it's impossible to please God. Without a quiet time, it's impossible to please God. Without winning people to the Lord, you can't please Him. But God says that the one thing that pleases Him is the life of faith. And if you are not living by faith, you're living a life that is no pleasure to Him, amazingly enough. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 14 that everything that is not of faith is sin. Now what we need to do in this introduction is get a definition of faith. Now I believe that there is only one place in Scripture, I don't know of any other place, where it gives a definition like faith is anywhere else than the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. So this is the definition, look at it. Now faith is the assurance now you need to see for a moment what that word assurance means. It doesn't mean the assurance that you will have the things hoped for. It's assurance that you already have them. Watch carefully. In fact, the old King James uh, version of this is the one we're familiar with. You can say it with me and I wish you would. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So that faith is substance. Faith is not 
getting what you hope for. Faith is what you hope for. Faith is the substance. Now the key word in this verse is the word is. There are some people who live in the was, and there are some who live in the will be. The way to live every, in every kind of room that God has made available is to live in the is. Faith is the substance. Faith is substance. Now, let's suppose that we need substance. And that substance is the provision for my material needs. Somebody asked one time, he said, why do you Baptist preachers always talk about money? Well, I don't think that we do talk about material things, but, but, but I suppose that the reason we do is, is that we, we figure that if, that if we can settle this matter that God will provide material needs, it'll, everything else will, you know, you know we, we can handle everything else. Let's suppose that the substance I need this morning is provision for my daily you know, requirement, daily life, my daily needs. That's the substance. So I'm going to trust God for that. And God says that He'll supply all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto me. So I'm going to claim God for my material needs. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting for God to provide for those, those material needs for me. This verse says, are you watching? This verse says, not that faith will obtain those material needs. It's not that you will, by faith, get those material needs. It is the assurance that you already have them. Faith is the substance. It's not hoping, it's having. It says that whatever you hope for, faith says, you already possess. Now I see some great big question marks on the faces of some people. You know, why can't, you may be saying, well, I can't get a hold of that, so I, we need a little amplification. Now watch carefully. There are three categories of faith. There is the faith that believes God can. That sounds so great. God can do anything, we say. God can perform miracles. God can meet every need I have. That's not biblical faith. For example, if a man came into this service this morning and he's lost, he might come to church every Sunday lost, and he sits in the service and he believes that God can save him. You ask him, do you believe God can save you? And he'll say, yes, I believe God can save me. Does that save him? I mean, he could come to church every Sunday believing God can save him and live and die in his sins. That's not biblical faith. There is the faith, secondly, that believes God will. That sounds even greater. God will solve my problems. God will meet my needs. We believe God will. And so we wait and we wait for Him to do it, believing that God will. That's not faith to live by. The third category of faith is the faith to live by. is this, that God has already. 
Now there's something that you and I need to understand because here's where the, here's where the, the water sheds. Watch this carefully. We need to understand that most of the time when we try to have faith in God, we try to have enough faith to obtain something. We, 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 we go to God and we say, God, I have a need. Would you get busy to supply that need? And then we, we expect God to get busy to create the provision for our need. What he's saying is this, is that I come to believe that God has already supplied my need. That there has never been a need, nor will I ever have a need, that God has not already made provision for. And there has never been, nor will there ever be a problem I'll ever encounter that, is all, that He has not already provided a solution for. Now if we believe that you get the principles in the New Testament of the Christian life and the pictures of, the New Test of those principles in the Old Testament, here's a perfect example of it. Because God in the act of creation in the book of Genesis always provided before the need. Watch this. Before He made the fish, He made the water. He didn't make the fish and throw him out on the bank and say, flop around there a little while, and a day or two I'll get you some water to live in. Why? Because he knew the fish would have to, the fish needed the water. And he made air before he made your lungs. He didn't make your lungs and say, well, hold your breath. About the third day I'm going to make some air and you can breathe. Don't, don't try, you, you don't have any air to breathe. He always made the provision before he made the need. Let me ask you a question. You answer. Which came, who came first? The second Adam or the first Adam? Which came first? The second Adam or the first Adam? The second Adam. See, that don't make sense. That's right. The second Adam came before the first Adam. Well, the second Adam was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. A long time before there ever was a Garden of Eden, there was a Golgotha. A long time before there ever was a sinner, there was a Savior. Before there was a sin, there was a salvation. Before there ever was a need in your life, God made provision for that. And in a real sense, the sacrifices of the Old Testament are pictures of that. Now we've studied in our Sunday school class that these sacrifices in the Old Testament were foreshadows of that which was to come and revealed in Christ Jesus. But in a real sense, they are just reenactments of what had already been. For when the Lamb was slain in the Old Testament, it was just a reenactment of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Now what all that means is this, is that before you ever encounter a need, that provision for that need has already been met, has been supplied. Have you memorized Mark eleven twenty four yet? Mark eleven twenty four says, Whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you have received, and you will receive. Whatever you have whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received and it will be given to you. Now it's interesting the tense of that believe you have received. It's, it's in the aorist tense which suggests point of time past tense action. It means 
an event which has already transpired. Now, what is Mark saying? He's saying, you know when you get something? Do you know when you get something that you can hold in your hand and see with your eyes and touch and feel? You know when you get something? It's when you believe you've already got it. Isn't that a strange paradox? Now here, finally, are the implications of that. Now watch this. The implication of that kind of thing is believing that God has already supplied every need I have before the need. You know what that enables me to do? It enables me to live in rest. R-E-S-T. Now God came to Joshua and He told Joshua, He said, Everywhere you put your foot is land I have already given you. He didn't say, everywhere you put your foot is land you're going to get. He said, everywhere you put your foot down is land already yours. And he brought him out to, 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 the, to the city of Jericho and he said, take a look at this city. Well fortified city. And God said to Joshua, you see that city? I've already given it to you. Now what does that mean? It means that you and I do not have to come to God in fear and beg God to provide our need. If God has promised in His Word that He'll supply our need, and it is legitimately a need, you don't have to ask God to supply it. All you have to do is say, Lord, I know you've already met my need. I just want to thank you for it and go on your way. I've got to feel that some of us spend a great deal of time begging God to meet a need that He's already met. And all we need to do is just come to God and say, Lord, I just want to thank You for meeting my need. I, I know You have. I'm going to go all my way, and one of these days I'll have it in my hand. Now, the best illustration or example of that kind of living is by a man that I, I've heard preach several times. Some of you are familiar with Ron Dunn. I want to give you an illustration, an example in his life, then we're out here. He said one day, uh, you know, it, it, it became apparent to him that they had a bill they needed to meet. They, they didn't have any money for it. He said they you know, the bill is due, you know, the money is, uh, the, the, the bill, the money needs to be here by Friday or whatever. He said, we didn't have it. He said, I couldn't go to the bank because I've been to the bank too many times, you know. I'd already been there before, that well was dry. He said, I don't know where I was going to get that money. He said, I've been trying to keep up with the Joneses, and he said, every time I'd catch up with them, they'd refinance, you know, and get ahead of me. And so he said, I was out of, I was out of, uh, I, I resources. And he said, I got sick one day. And he said, it wasn't so sick that I, you know, I just felt miserable. It was so sick, you know, sick enough I didn't, couldn't go to work. So he said, I decided I was going to go home and I was going to pray that need, you know, to be met. I was going to pray that money down. He said, so I went up to my room. He said, I got out my New Testament and I turned to, to uh, Matthew 6, 33. And he said, I prayed you know, I read 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And he said, so I, I put my finger on that verse, and I said, Lord, I, I want you to provide for me. He said, I need you to make provision. I, I've got a debt. I can't meet it. Lord, I want that I'm, I'm claiming you for that. And he said, I finished praying, and he said, I didn't feel like that was enough. He said, I prayed, it's 633. He said, maybe I ought to pray that prayer 33 times. You know? Well, he said, I, just, I was going over and over. He said, isn't it true that most of the time the way we, like, the way we operate is that we'll, we, we try to you know, talk ourselves into believing, and we work ourselves up to believe, and then we run and ask God for it before it gets dry, you know, before it cools off. He said, I was trying to believe, and I was reading that verse of Scripture, and he said, about the 33rd time, I was praying, begging God to meet my need. God said, Ron, you know, not out loud, inside, said, Ron, don't you wish, don't you wish that the banker had said that instead of me? And he said, I said, uh, you know, what, what was that? He said, don't you wish the banker had said that instead of me? Because if the banker had said that, if the banker had said to you 10 years ago, Ron, I want you just to serve me and, and I don't want you to worry about finances and, and, and I just want you to know that I'm going to take care of every need you have. He said, if you'd have come to a need like this, what would you have done? You just called up the banker and said, hey, I got another need, thank you very much. Just appropriated it. He said, don't you wish the banker had said that instead of me? He said, you take the word of a banker, the word of a man, before you take my word. He said, all of a sudden I realized that what my prayer was was just my doubt expressing itself. Because if God says to me he's going to do it, if I keep asking him to do it, in that, in essence, saying to him, I don't believe what you said. If somebody comes up to you and says, you know, are you going to, uh, are you going to pay my bill today? Yeah, and you say to him, yes, I'm going to pay your bill. I'm going to meet your need. And he comes up to you tomorrow and says, are you going, and, and every day after that, wouldn't that be an expression of his unbelief in your word? So Ron Dunn said, I just got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm sorry. And I want you to know that I am, from this day forward, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take your word for it. Thank you very much. Two days later, he said, now I'm not suggesting this is the way you pay your bills. <laughs> I'm not in a bit. I think it's dangerous to find out that somebody else, but I am saying it worked for him. And me. He said, thank you, Lord. Thank you very much. And he just went on his way. Two days later, the amount that was necessary to meet that need came in an extraordinary way. Now, that's not the end of the story. Here's the kicker. He said it wasn't about three weeks later, and boom, another bill came due. Something came up unexpectedly. They had to have $700. And he said, I'd already made a promise. And I, I wasn't going to trust man anymore. So I wasn't going to the bank, you know, to get that. He said, um, $700. And he said, I, I'm just going to trust God for it. 
He said, one Wednesday night, he said, I was leading a prayer meeting, and he said, I coined a phrase, and I used that phrase over and over again, four or five times, what you do not receive, you do not require. In other words, what you don't get, you don't need. He said, I was standing at the back of the church, and God said, Ron, you've already got that $700. He said, oh, I do? He said, yeah, in those mutual funds. And he said, okay, Lord, you'll have to tell my wife. He said, because uh, he said about six months before, he said, we had cashed in some savings. We had some savings for the kids to go to college. He said, we'd put aside a little money for the kids to go to college, get four or five dollars in there, and he'd take it out and spend it, you know. He said, his wife made him vow, sign in blood, that he would never, ever again take the children's money to pay a bill with. He said, well, you know, if it's there, you're going to have to tell my wife, because I'm not about to tell her. Yeah, we're going to use those mutual funds. He said that night we were sitting watching the news, and he said, my wife uh, kind of looked over at me and said, Ron, I know where we can get that $700 we owe. And he said, where's that? She said, in those mutual funds. And he said, thank you, Lord. (laughs) So the next day he he went, he called up the mutual fund place, and he said, I want to count, I'm going to you know, uh, cash in my mutual funds. And he said, I need it in four days. He said, it's kind of urgent. And the lady said, well, the check will be mailed today. You'll have it. Don't worry about it. Fourth day came, no check. He said, I got on the phone. I called. Well, he said, well, we checked it out on the computer. He should have had it. The check was mailed. He said, well, I didn't get it. So he hung up the phone and he thought, now I can't call the bank. Already made a promise of not. Well, he remembered this friend. He said, well, now this really wouldn't be a violation of my vow. He said, he called, he said I'll call up my friend, his rich friend in church. He said, I'll, I'll tell him, I say, I need an interim financing. You know, he said, if you, can, if you can spare me 700 he said, I've got a check on the way. He said, but I need it today, tomorrow. And he said, I'll, I'll pay it kind of interim finances. He said, I called up and said, the secretary said, well, he's out and he won't be back. He said, well, have him call me immediately. It's an emergency. So he said he got in his car and he was going to make a hospital visit. And as he was riding out in the, ho- in the car, he remembered what you don't receive, you don't require. What you don't receive, you don't require. And he thought to himself, well, since I didn't receive it, I must not need it. So he said, I turned around, I rushed back home, and he said, um, by the time I got back in the office, the phone was ringing, my friend was calling. He said, what do you need? Nothing, nothing. He said, I don't know, just counsel a call, I don't need anything. What you don't, what you don't receive, you don't require. And so he said, I just, you know, said, Lord, I know that I didn't need that, so thank you very much. A little bit later on that afternoon, his wife called him at the office and said, guess what, Ron? A guy came out and hand-delivered the money from that mutual fund, said it 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 had gotten sent to the wrong address, and he brought it over here, knew you needed it immediately, and hand-delivered it. And so he said, I said, you know, thank you, Lord. That's it. Story's not over. He said the next day, this rich friend called him and 
He said, Ron, um, my wife and I'd like to take you and your wife out to lunch today. Well, he said, that'd be great. So he said that they were out eating lunch, and all of a sudden he reached into his inside coat pocket. He said, Ron, you know, I've been a very, I've been very, now if you want to practice this, it'll be okay. He said, now Ron, he said, I've been, uh, he said, I've I've been very successful, and and I've made a big business deal this week, and he said, uh, um, he said, I, uh, I want you to have this. And he reached out into his pocket, and he handed him, guess what? Check for how much? $700. And Ron said, I've got a confession. Confession is good for the soul. He said, when I called you yesterday, he said, yeah, he said, I was going to get some interim financing because I needed $700 as quick as I could get it. And he said, then, he said, God just spoke to me and, 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 and what I've been preaching, what you don't receive, you don't require. And he said, I, I, when you called me back, he said, I just counseled that. And, and then, 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 then the mutual fund check came in. The guy said, isn't that strange? Because I made this check out for $600. It was a percentage of the deal I made. And he said, this morning, the strangest things happened. He said, while I was shaving, God spoke to my heart and said, Make that check for 700 instead of six. You know, the amazing thing about all this is, is that most of us don't have the slightest clue about this kind of life. Most of us don't. And whenever a need comes, we just panic and we run as fast as we can to a human solution and every human solution just gets us further into trouble. Amen? Now the master key is faith. Now there's some of you this morning who's never, you have never entered the, the house that grace built. And you've been trying all your life to get in, but you can't. You've tried by baptism and church membership, and you've done good stuff, and you've, made, you, you've straightened up in every, every possible way. You're about the best person in the world. But you know that you're still on the outside. Let me tell you something. The Lord has already provided for you faith for salvation. All you got to do is insert the key in the lock. Faith is God making it. Grace is God making it. Faith, you taking it. And then there's some of us living in the foyer, and before us are these rooms of victory over sin and answered prayer and fullness of the Spirit. And we're going to die in the foyer because we've never been able to take the same key that brought salvation. For as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. And with the same trustful surrender that God has already met your need for salvation. And that's it. Fine. Thank you, Lord. I Take that key 
to the abundant life. And the place to begin is not with self-effort, not with multiplying jobs at the church or rededication of your life, really. It's just at the place of taking. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you now to make clear this great truth that everything we have ever needed or will ever need has been already provided. That there is land, there, there, are, there are resources, there is treasure already for us to take. And that if that need, Father, is for salvation, all we have to do is receive it. And if there is need for comfort, for victory, for the daily provision of material needs, already met, already stored up in the granary for the taking. Let us take, Father, help us to take that key that we already possess and insert in the door. Begin to live a life of faith. For I ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. There are three invitations. Look here. One invitation for you to come today and receive Christ as your Savior. Come to join this church this morning. Come to receive the gift of faith. Faithful living. The master key. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.